Welcome back to Caucus Talk. This is episode, we're calling it 82. It is part two in our three-part series on religion. Today we take up our next two topics, which are the how ancient religion is and how nuanced it is. So uh, buckle in and let's take a deep dive. Enjoy. All right, well, let's go to point number two. Um, religion in the North Caucasus is ancient. I, yes. <laughs> and I, you made a good point earlier. You could pretty much take out the word religion, fill in the blank here. That thing is ancient. That's kind of what it, you're always getting at in the North Caucasus. Yeah, for sure. But I'm interested to hear your research on this, Andrew, because I, I, I haven't tracked as closely when things started in the Caucasus and, and how different religions came exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I've learned a lot about this just through my work, uh, in tourism here, um, traveling through the region. Some, uh, a lot of the main landmarks that if you come to tour the region, uh, they are tied to religion. Um, and I mean, there's just some incredible, like, that's where you see how ancient some of the religions are here uh, and its influence in the region. Yeah. So uh, I have a list of five to six uh, kind of landmarks in the region that I want to hit on that will give us an overview of what we're talking about as far as um, how, how far back does religion really go here, you know? Sure. Um, so the first, we mentioned this already, um, but uh, you mentioned there's a synagogue in um, Machkala. But I think actually the the oldest one, uh, I definitely could be wrong. I think it's in Derbent, um, and I, I believe that. Yeah, uh, the I mentioned this already, but they say that the Mountain Jews likely originated in Dagestan, somewhere around fifth uh, century BC, coming from the Persian Empire. Um, so think about that. I mean, that was. 2,500 years ago. That's about right. Yeah. And there's big, <laughs> I mean, there's big debates about how old Durbin is, you know? There's like the state line that it's, you know, something like 2,000 to 2,500 years. But I think locals say like it's 5,000 years old, don't they? I, yeah, not the crepes, not the fortress there, but... Um, the yeah, actual the sure. first yeah. civilization, yeah, settlement. So it would be interesting to um to find out more because in biblical history you've got these uh deportations of Jews from Israel from Jerusalem and Israel to yeah, exiles Assyria to Babylon Babylon then became Persia and then some were sent back or allowed to go back but just a fraction of those that left and so I've heard this term of sort of the lost tribes huh. of Israel that didn't come back and where did they go and uh-huh. can that be traced and obviously if you're you know an exiled population escaping or leaving um, you know that might not have been <laughs> tracked closely but right. it, the timing sounds like feasible which is wow. really fascinating that's this sounds like a uh, trail we need to go down see if we what we can uncover yes um, uh, what I was going to say was, um, 
you know, Derbent was one of the stops on the ancient Silk Road. And so uh, it gives context for especially Dagestan, especially Derbent. How did it become such this melting pot of different religions and influences? Well, it was part of the Silk Road. It was a major trade route. Um, sure. And, yeah. Um, so you see that in Derbent, number one, with uh, kind of the origins possibly of the Mountain Jews and ancient synagogue. But then uh, really some of the most early historical religious influence in the region also came through Derbent uh, from Arabic teachers and Muslim teachers. Uh, there's the most ancient mosque in the North Caucasus is in Derbent, Dagestan the Durban Juma. Uh, it's actually a Shia, Shia mosque, um, but uh, they say that uh, basically uh, Arabs from the tribe of the Prophet Muhammad actually Which is the came. the Qureshi tribe, right. Yes, the Qureshi tribe. They came to Dagestan spreading Islam into uh-huh. the Caucasus. And so you, there's, uh, in Dagestan especially, there's a lot of landmarks that get traced back uh, to that first kind of step of Islam into the region. There's the, the Derbent uh, Jumaa, the mosque. Um, there is uh, a fortress. Uh, it's a couple hours uh, like south, southwest of Dagestan, up in the mountains, called the uh, Kala Koresh Fortress. But they say this was built in the 8th century uh, by these Arab teachers, these Islamic teachers that came from the Middle East. Uh, And then in Derbent, there's a really famous uh, Islamic cemetery uh, as well, really ancient. Um, So you you especially see in Dagestan like this really early um, kind of move of Islam into the region. It it came to Dagestan before anywhere else in the region. Uh, And then we'll we'll talk about a little later how it spread from Dagestan uh, to the rest of the region. So Again, that may have been somehow connected to the Silk Road. Um, but yeah, so Derbent especially, like, man, if you come to the region, it really is a fascinating place. Wow. Um, really ancient history. So I don't know if you know about the uh, no answers to this, but it's interesting to me because the South Caucasus, the Trans Caucasus, Georgia in particular, which has been Orthodox, I mean, I think they go back to the first century. I, you know, I think they, they claim some of the original apostles or first, second generation uh, apostles or teachers um, as, as those starting the Georgian church. So do you, do you think it was, um, or do you know, was it the geography that kept, kept um, Christianity, which predates, you know, Islam from coming to the North side of the mountains, or is there just not much history on that? Huh? Well, uh, yeah, I know. I know in Armenia, I think Armenia makes the claim as being the first country to adopt Christianity. Right. And I want to say that was something like 395. Um, Armenians, if I'm wrong, you let me know. But for some reason, that number's coming to mind. Fourth century, for sure. And then Georgia was was right there behind them. uh, That kind of Christianity was adopted, orthodoxy. I think we'll be hearing from some listeners on these on this. Yeah, yeah, our day. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get thrashed. Um, no, but then I will say 
What you can do is look in the North Caucasus then, what are some of the kind of early landmarks that were left uh, from some of these countries? So in Ingushetia, for example, one of the most ancient uh, churches or temples in the North Caucasus is in the mountains of Ingushetia. Wow. It's it's called Tkhaba uh, Erdi, but uh, it was built in the 11th century by Georgian priests. So they came through the mountains. Okay. Um, and they say historically it was a, a pagan site, and they built this Christian temple there. And, of course, you know, all of these buildings, they've been destroyed over, over the centuries and then restored, and that, that's the case. It's, it's really in good shape now, but I've been inside that that church multiple times in the mountains. I mean, talk about oh, cool. just ancient history. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you see that, as far as I know, that's, if not one of the earliest, the earliest kind of landmark or kind of piece of evidence that uh, Georgian priests were trying to bring Christianity into the North Caucasus region, 11th century. Um, if you look at the Western Caucasus, uh, the most ancient church in all of Russia is in uh, Kirichai Cherkessia. Right. Uh, it's called Sentinsky Church, 10th century. And uh, they say that uh, Byzantine priests from the Byzantine Empire came from the West across the Black Sea uh, wow. and built that church there. Yeah. So uh, what what you're seeing here is you see... Islam and Arabic influence coming from the South, from the Middle East. Then you've got uh, Georgian and Armenian influence coming also kind of from the Southwest, South Central, through the Caucasus, also from the Middle East, uh, bringing uh, Christian Orthodoxy. And then from the West as well, from the Byzantine Empire, coming to the Western Caucasus, um, yeah, so that was in Abhazia, but that church still stands today in Karachay-Cherkessia, 10th century. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you know, with these uh, traditional, more pagan or animistic religions, there are landmarks all over the region, uh, some of them really ancient, um, places of prayer, um, burial sites. And one of the ones I've been to that stands out the most, it's also in Ingushetia. It's called Myatseli. Um, but it's on the way to Table Mountain. It's one of the most kind of famous sites in Ingushetia's history. But uh, this was a, it was a basically like a pagan worship site or prayer site uh-huh. uh, where uh, the Ingush in ancient centuries would go uh, to offer sacrifices, either for rain for their crops or also they it was reputed that uh it was there was like a fertility god you could pray to there to right. get pregnant um so there isn't an exact date on when that was built but some scholars say 16th century um and even like the ingush they were one of the later uh Caucasus peoples to accept islam i i want to say that was early uh, early to mid 19th century. It could have been before that, but, uh, they, like many of Caucasus peoples, uh, had, uh, pagan traditions up to that point. And you, you see that in places like Miatsili, even like, uh, Table Mountain there, which is, it's a hike a little farther above Miatsili. 
It's this huge flat plateau. It's at about 10,000 feet above sea level. And uh, English elders, elders used to go up to Table Mountain. They'd go offer, make offerings at Miatsili and then gather on Table Mountain to make, kind of make decisions and offer sacrifices. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that is just a, I mean, that's a very brief look. Uh, but those are just a couple. Sure. Just a couple I'm familiar with that are pretty well known in the region. Seventh, eighth, tenth, eleventh, sixteenth century. Uh, that kind of sh- kind of landmarks of, uh, yeah, religion coming yeah. into the region or changing. Well, you know, and and like any populated, you know, region that's populated anciently, like it's still conversation still going. The conversation, the right. the discoveries are still going. The research. I mean, there's, um, I'm looking at an article now that dated 2019, where um, at, the, at the Citadel in Derbent, which is a UNESCO heritage site, I mean, it's like a mini, it's not like a mini Jerusalem, but like in Jerusalem, you know, archaeology is so um, controlled and uh, huh. contested because there's so much vested in every square inch. So there's so many things that could be discovered, but from archaeology, but you can't just go digging the whole thing up because, because of that. Well, this is a similar thing. They have there have been questions about what's what's under there, and there's been a you know a dome showing for a long time. So these scientists use um, some kind of radiology um, technology to scan this building underground and find this this you know cross shaped structure. Wow, kind of a plus shape from from 300 AD. So they're, they're not digging it up. They don't have physical evidence of what's in there, but you know, the speculation is, okay, maybe this was a church, you know, even back then. Um, I think there's a lot of things like that, that are uh, unknown or, or even somewhat speculative. um, But that, that indicate that there's a lot of stuff that goes way back that we still don't even know yet. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Wow. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even hit on this, but, uh, you know, the Byzantine Empire, I forget what century it was, but, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years, it was a Christian empire. At some point, they uh, accepted Islam and became the Ottoman Empire, correct? Sounds right. Yeah. And uh, we're going to get you know, if we mess that up, we're going to hear from our Turk- Turkish <laughs> listeners. Um, but uh, wife, if I mess that up, what I what I do know is, in the Western Caucasus, Islam came more from the Ottoman Empire, and not just the Ottoman Empire, but uh, also uh, the Crimean Khanate, uh, Tatars, fifteenth, sixteenth century. That's when it really started coming from the West. So uh, modern day Adygea, kind of the the Black Sea Coast, Kabardino-Balkaria, Karcha-Cherkessia. It came in the east. It came more from the Middle East and then Daga, from Dagestan spread. Um, and then, of course, in the, <clears throat> you know, the Russian Caucasus War uh, began in the 18th century. So you're looking at 18th, 19th century uh, Russian Orthodoxy coming from the north into the region. Sure. And then the 20th century, of course, uh, the communist Soviet state for 70 years. So, like, I mean, 
just imagine if you can, like this late, I mean, we're talking about, we've covered 2,500 years in the last 20 minutes, the layers of different religions that have come into the region, some peacefully and some with force. Uh, And like, I mean, at times the region was just in upheaval with these changes, you know? Sure. Well, this gets to your point about fluidity. I mean, if you're ready to move to that point, um, that, that there's been so many forces acting on the region over history uh, that, of course, the religion, religious landscape keeps changing. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, it is a great transition. So let's move to that. Point number three, um, religion in the North Caucasus is fluid. And specifically, we're talking about the changes over the many, not just the years, the centuries. Um, yeah, so I think it's good to start in Dagestan because that's kind of some of the earliest history we know of religion in the region is, um, you know, 7th, 8th century, uh, 8th century, we'll say, Islam, uh, Islamic teachers bringing uh, this new religion into Dagestan, and it was uh, pretty qu- quickly accepted in Dagestan. Um, mm-hmm. Man, this was some of my most interesting research I kind of found out as I like studied religion in the region. But yeah. I mean, Dagestan really embraced Islam. Um, they say that at some point, uh, there were over 2,000 of these madrasas, these Islamic schools in Dagestan. Whoa. And uh, that basically up through the 19th century, it was considered an informal part of the Persian Empire. Uh, and huh. even at one point, like up to 5% of people in Dagestan actually could speak uh, Arabic as the lingua franca. Because sure. when yeah. you think about it, you know, now Rus- Russian is the lingua franca. There's, you know, 35 to 50 to sometimes they say even more different languages spoken in Dagestan, native languages. Um, Russian is the language everybody speaks with each other because they can, so they can communicate. But before, before Russia, you know, brought Dagestan into their, their realm, how do they communicate? Arabic. (laughs) Fascinating. I had no idea. Interesting. Or maybe they didn't communicate, you know, that, I mean, that, that would be something really interesting to to study. And that's, those would be. Uh, fluid forces too. Like I know Kumwik was the lingua franca for, uh, I think until the 1900s. Oh, um, okay. For at least Eastern Dagestan, you know, um, I don't know, but it'd be, it's a question to pursue, you know, how, how widespread uh, were these francas? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Linguas, rather. That would be a great, this is definitely a topic we need to dig in deeper is get some more Dagestan-specific information. Um, I think one interesting point to to talk about here is, you know, uh, I don't know, listeners, how much you know about Islam, those of you who aren't Muslims, but uh, the the language of Arabic is really important uh, within Islam because, uh, you know, this was the language that the the Quran, the Holy Scripture, was given to Muhammad, and then it, he is recited, and it's been recorded and preserved today. Um, so, uh, you know, in a place 
Dagestan, for example, where Islam is growing, the Arabic language is growing. It, it necessarily has to be done in Arabic. Uh, the Quran right. learned in Arabic, et cetera. Um, so on the one sense, you know, if you asked a Muslim, they would say this is the true way that this religion will grow with the Arabic spread of the Arabic language connected to Islam. On the other sense, uh, there needs to be something at least in your native language so you're at least understanding what you're believing in and accepting, you know? Yeah. And uh, essentially this is what happened with Christianity uh, with different priests bringing it from Georgia and from the Byzantine Empire as well. You know, these temples or churches were built, but they were trying to teach the local people these ancient Orthodox liturgies in, you know, Georgian or Latin. Yeah. And of course, I especially read this about um, Abhazia, like maybe it was accepted on the surface level, they accepted Christianity, but of course at like the heart level, at the level where like a society or a person can be changed or transformed for the better, it never made deep inroads into society because they had to learn these things in a foreign language, you know? Because their liturgy was all in that language. Yeah. Right, right. So that scholars say, especially with uh, at least coming from Georgia and from the Byzantine Empire, this was why Christianity never really took a deep hold on the region uh, because things were never put in the local languages. Uh, it was, they were kind of trying to teach these liturgies in foreign languages. Interest. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, let's start with Dagestan. Dagestan, essentially, seventh, eighth century up to like 15th century, it was the main part of the North Caucasus that had really embraced Islam. Um, and then slowly uh, into the 15th, 16th, 17th century, Islam from the West started coming. Uh, teachers were coming from the Ottoman Empire, from the Crimean Tatars, the uh, Tatar Khanate in Crimea. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, like often happens in history, it really took a kind of major, kind of, for lack of a better word, like a convulsive event in history that really catalyzed, sparked Islam spreading across the rest of the region. And that was the beginning of the Russian Caucasus War in the 18th century. Right. So uh, do you want to give a kind of overview for our listeners, Eli? For those who aren't familiar, just brief overview. What was kind of the scope of that war? When did it happen? What was happening? No. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Thanks for the... Thanks for the pitch, but I'm not able to, um, to to go to bat on that one. Essentially, uh, I'll do this. Um, yeah, I mean, we're not going to dig in deep, but Russia was expanding their empire. <laughs> I'm sure not. <laughs> and uh, mid, mid 18th century, about 1760 or 1764, until 1865. They call it the 100-year war. It was the longest war in Russia's history. Uh, the Russian Caucasus War happened, where Russia was 
trying to bring the Caucasus into their empire. And uh, the native Caucasus peoples fought back for 100 years. Um, wow. It was with this event that Islam really galvanized, kind of united and galvanized the Caucasus peoples to fight back in a united way. Um, and so this is where kind of famous figures in Caucasus history come to the forefront. Um, one of them is the Chechen Sheikh Mansour. Uh, Tolstoy wrote a book about him. Um, but, uh, yeah, he was a, uh, Chechen religious leader. In that time, he went to Dagestan to get religious training. And when he came back, he really was kind of a major religious slash military leader in mobilizing this more Eastern kind of central Caucasus peoples to fight back against Russia. And then of course the most famous figure is Imam Shamil, um, who he was an Avar Dagestani. Um, he kind of was the one who led the resistance against, uh, Russian forces, uh, mid, mid 19th century, 1834 to 1859. Um, yeah. And in Dagestan, especially he is just, you know, so revered. and then another famous figure even is uh, Kunta Haji Kishiev. Uh, he also was, I've read that some say he was Chechen, others say he was Kumuk, but uh, he uh, was the person who brought Islam to Ingushetia that they first accepted it from in the 19th century. Uh, and he still has a pretty significant kind of his own stream of followers today in Ingushetia and Chechnya. Um, so... Islam didn't come to Ingushetia until the 1900s, is what you're saying, uh, or 19th century. 19th century was when they finally accepted it. They had actually rejected okay. it several times before that. Um, and he, in favor of, of traditional religions? Traditional religion, yeah, and kind of their, they're called, you know, these adats, their traditional right, right. moral code, value, et cetera. Um, also, in that time, the Western Caucasus, at that point, there was a huge Circassian um, population in the Western Caucasus. They were also resisting and fighting back against Russia. Um, yeah, there was, it seems like from what I've read, there was a bit of a split between the Western Caucasus Muslims and the Eastern Caucasus Muslims. Um, yeah, but it was, that was where, when the Russian Caucasus War started, that Islam really spread across the rest of the region. and. Um, almost every other, with the exception of the Ossetians, the majority of the Ossetians, uh, every other major Caucasus people accepted Islam as kind of their religion. Well, that makes a lot of sense that, like you said, that convulsive event galvanized what was growing or had kind of existing there, you know, to, to unite the people and draw them together and give them a, a unified, um, cause identity um yeah and i think you know even when you look at i don't know if this is right or not but you know at the end of the russia caucasus war uh they say that like around two million uh circassians were exiled to turkey across the black sea i mean that was a huge part of the western caucasus when you think imagine the population it was it was a big part of the land and a big part of the population and so I wonder today if that is one reason why maybe 
uh, kind of at the societal level, Islam is not quite as strong in the western part of the region as it is in the eastern part. I don't, I don't know. Because that upheaval, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that kind of gives you an idea of how um, Islam kind of spread through the rest of the region. But then it's not the end of the story, you know? <laughs> uh, sure. Russia was expanding. You know, the war ended in 1865. And then you fast forward 50 years, and the Soviet Union uh, has begun. And uh, at this point, you know, all religion for 70 years, and not just in Russia, but the greater, all these 15 different countries is repressed. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine living in a society like that, but what it was a convulsive event in the beginning uh, when that happened in the 20s, the late teens in the 20s, 1920s. Uh, World War II happened, several Caucasus nations, um, Chechen, English, Balkars, Karachais, Meskhetian Turks were deported to Central Asia. 13 years they were brought back. I mean, the 20th century was just, it was really chaos for the region. And then Soviet rule ended in the late 80s, early 90s. And essentially at that point, all religion was allowed to kind of be revived in the country. (laughs) And it's kind of a free-for-all. It really, I mean, when you talk to Russians about the 90s, anybody about the 90s, they say it was just total chaos. Like the borders were opened. Um, Of course, the... uh, like the religions and kind of faiths that were already here pre-Soviet Union were kind of starting to be revived where they were, but like lots of people were coming into the country, you know, it was kind of a time for people to rediscover what was out there, you know? Right. <laughs> um, and I think, I mean, that is a big reason I think why, I think today you really see a revival of religion in the region uh, across all boards, across all fronts, um, because there's the freedom to do that again. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, talk about fluid. Like, it's just every couple centuries, something major has happened, and it's looked different than it did, you know, 300 years before. And even in the last 150 years, how much has it changed? Just incredibly. I think as Americans, it's a little hard to think on that scale just because our country is only 200 odd years old, 250 years old. And so to right. think of things changing every 300 years, it's like in our cultural consciousness, we can't even go back that far. Yeah. Um, obviously we can go across the sea, but, um, or wherever we came from. Uh, sorry, I'm speaking very, very Eurocentric. Um, but, but still like, uh, just the, the scope, the historical scope of the Caucasus makes us a really interesting line to trace you know i i like your uh speculation and i would love to ask locals more about that why there does seem to be such a resurgence you know what's fueling it today right. i think you know the post-soviet surge um that's well past i mean that's that's 30 years past and so there's still something um i think fueling that at least in the North Caucasus, and I don't know about the rest of Russia. Um, it's a it's a really interesting question. You know, people 
in our neck of the woods, I think, have a an assumption that as technology, you know, improves and grows, kind of religion decreases, and that's totally right. the opposite of what's happening globally. Yeah. Like religion yeah. is booming <laughs> statistically, so it's pretty pretty fascinating. And that's what we got for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. And be sure to uh, pick up our next episode in which we conclude our series on religion in the North Caucasus. Assalamu alaikum,